You're listening to the Small Business Talk podcast with Kathy Smith. Small Business Talk is a podcast for business owners and entrepreneurs who want a better way to run their businesses without spending years doing it the hard way. Small Business Talk is hosted by Kathy Smith, who has run the same marketing agency for more than 17 years and helped hundreds of business owners achieve their marketing goals. Welcome to Small Business Talk, episode 124. Today on Small Business Talk, we're discussing story. What makes potential customers want to do business with your business? By making the human connection, you're fulfilling the basic need of wanting to be accepted. Our story, whether business or personal, and let's face it, our business story is personal, And if you haven't listened to episode 121 of Small Business Talk, go back and have a listen to that because that's when I talk about business is personal. And if it's not personal, then it should be. So check out that. It is our story that draws people to us, makes them want to know us more, makes them want to buy. We've all heard the story, we buy from people and we buy from people we know, like and trust but you've got to resonate with those people. So today, Ian Hawkins from Ian Hawkins Coaching is interviewing me about story and why I do what I do. This episode is longer than normal, so if you don't have time, you might want to put it on hold and come back to it. Otherwise, grab yourself a cuppa, put your shoes on, or save it for when you're having a longer drive. So however you listen to it, I hope you find it of great value. And it was fun doing. And Jackie, who is one of our wonderful super fans, has been asking for a longer episode. So this one's for you. So let's buckle up and have a listen. So I'll throw it over to Ian Hawkins. And here we go. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm chatting with Kathy Smith. Kathy, welcome. I appreciate you taking this time to chat with me. Thank you, Ian. I appreciate the um, invitation. Awesome. I love the I love the logo. So what is the significance of the big cat there in on the uh, Catco Enterprises logo? Okay, so the logo is actually a puma. So Catco is Cat's company. So my family um, for many years called me Cat. And when we were looking at business names, um, having a name like Smith, all the Smith variations that we could find were already taken. So we decided to um, go with Catco. And I'm actually not a cat person. I don't really particularly like domestic cats. So I thought, well, I need a cat. And, um, yeah, the, the puma, the sleekness and the speed really attracted me. And I have that same logo on my car and the eyes shine and I get lots of comments on that too. Oh, that's cool. Well, when, when lights shine on it, or they shine all the time? Yeah, any sort of catching of light, so sunlight or, um, yeah, other lights, anything like that. So, yeah, it's just um, reflective. So the catching of light makes the eyes go green, and they're right. particularly good at night. Very good. I love that. Yeah, the sleekness and the speed, really cool. Uh, does that tie in nicely to... Uh, well, we might actually let's come back to that. Let's could you share with everyone what it is that Catco Enterprises actually does? Sure. So Catco Enterprises is a digital marketing business. So um, we started out 20 years ago before there was digital marketing. So we started in print and snail mail style marketing. And yeah, as the years have gone on, it's evolved. Um, so yeah, we do digital marketing, but Our main difference is we make sure that your marketing makes you money. Lots of people spend lots of money on little bits and pieces. They never have any strategy and, of course, their marketing doesn't work. So I just like to tie it all in and make sure that you're actually getting value for your marketing. And if your marketing is not making you money, you're doing it wrong. So you need to go back and revisit and find out why. I love that. I think anyone who's been in business will have had that experience where they've invested a fair bit of money in, in marketing and not got the results that they were not about promised but um, led to believe that they would get. So, yeah, I love that that's actually really a key driver for you because it's like otherwise what's the point of it, right? Exactly. And we're all shiny object people. Um, 
particularly creatives. So you yeah. hear that there's this new thing called Clubhouse, so I've got to be on that, and there's TikTok and there's this and there's that. And so you've got to decide that you're going to jump onto absolutely everything and grab all of those things, which for some businesses, you don't need it. And a lot of people spend so much time on social media that they're actually not doing their business. And then they wonder why they can't make sales and they're not getting customers. Yeah. Do you tend to do you tend to attract more creatives? No, actually. Um, we've probably got more non-creatives because they don't want to be dabbling in that creative space. So they don't want to be making the artwork that you need to be doing for social media. They don't want to be making their websites look pretty and they certainly don't want to be going the two or three layers deep that you need to actually make for your website to work. Yeah, cool. So you started 20 years ago. I would love for you to share the story of how you got into having your own business because I think it's something that will resonate with many. So I call myself an accidental entrepreneur. So I had been, I originally started in graphic design um, and back in the day it was actually an apprenticeship, not a degree like it is today. So I did my apprenticeship and I was lucky enough to win Apprentice of the Year and that gave me a two-week holiday to Melbourne on the other side of Australia from where I live in Perth. And while I was there, I managed to get myself a job in an advertising agency. So that took me on a 15-year um, trip to Queensland and then back to Western Australia. And after about 10 years, um, my boyfriend at the time had followed me around the country and um, we got married and I had a baby. And I thought, this is fabulous, but I don't want to go back to, at that stage, I was doing corporate um, print management and sales and I was working 60 hours a week and I didn't want to go back to that. So I've got the six-month-old baby. I've got six months left of my maternity leave. At that stage, it was unpaid. So I decided, well, maybe I would just jump ship and start a business. So I basically had two babies, a six-month-old real baby and a new business. I love that. Um, what was the reaction from your family when you go over for a holiday and then say you're staying to because you've got a job. They were devastated, absolutely <laughs> yeah. devastated. And then we got, well, we bought a house first, so you must be coming home. Uh, sorry, we, we got engaged, so you must be coming home. Then we bought a house, so we were never coming home. Then we had a baby, so you must be coming home. Then we had a second baby and sold the house, so you definitely must be coming <laughs> home. And then um, when my son was due to start school, then we, we did eventually come home, so... Very cool. And you didn't go back to Perth, right? You you're in a in a uh, quieter part of WA? Yes. So I'm located in Bunbury, which is 200k south of um, Perth. And yeah, that was actually where I grew up. So um, I've spent a lot of time in Perth, but I haven't lived in Perth personally. Okay. Yeah, right. So what is it about Bunbury that's so appealing? It's the country lifestyle. It's the second biggest city in Western Australia but it really is just a big country town. So if I want to go to three or four or five different shops like department stores and all of that, I can do that in 20 minutes, half an hour. Um, even in Perth, if you want to go to some of the big ones, you have to go here and then it, it might only be 10 k's away, but it's going to take you 30 or 40 minutes to get there. It's also very laid back. So lots of sport, lots of country style community events uh, it's just a great place to bring kids up awesome so i'm i'm curious that uh laid-back lifestyle and yet your business is all about sleek and and fast so how do you blend the two particularly when i imagine a lot of your clients do work in a in a city environment where they are quite fast-paced a bit of both with the clients. Um, so we have a lot of country clients. We have country clients in um, Queensland as well as here in WA. Um, yep. We do have some in that sleek, um, fast pace. Um, I guess it, it's kind of like my personality. I'm a little bit of a, an omnivert. Um, I can get up and do speaking when I need to, but I definitely need my quiet time. 
um, I was on a call yesterday um, with a lady and she's working in an open plan space and the mic was picking up all the noises and I was just thinking there's no possible way I could work in that environment because it was just too noisy and cluttered. So having my nice quiet office where I can look out the window and see the willy wagtails playing in the bird bath that gives me my my downtime so I can be creative and think as well. So, yeah, a, a combination of both, I think. And then on the flip side, I'm up doing talks and doing the whole networking thing and speaking to hundreds of people. So, um, yeah, I definitely need the quiet um, on the other side of that too. Yeah, it's really important, I think, as a business owner to know what works for you and what the balance is for me that sort of noisy background i quite like that so i'll often go and work at the cafe because it actually gives me energy so so uh getting that mix right is definitely very important so you kind of fast forwarded through that journey of like you you had children like what but you started your business what was the biggest challenge in that time when when you did as you described have two babies I, I think it was just getting my head around the fact that I now had a child and I also had a business and how much of the mumpreneur, the the mum sort of side of it was I going to bring in because I'd been very much in corporate. So there was lots of mums there obviously, but there was no on-site childcare, there was none of that. So once you stepped into your business role, you were a businesswoman and I continued that through my business. So then I had to balance out, okay, if I'm going to be a businesswoman and not a mumpreneur, what do I do with my son? Does he come with me? Does he not come with me? And a lot of my clients, there was no way they would have a child, even a small, very well-behaved child in their office. So it was just that balance of, okay, how much work do I do? And how am I going to still look after my son? So I was very lucky living in Queensland and not having any family that we had a very big extended community. Um, and there was quite a few ladies doing the same sort of thing. So we would swap babysitting duties. So I would work one day and a couple of my girlfriends would work other days and then we would look after each other's children. So nice. I'm very proud to say that my son's only been to daycare one day in his whole entire life. And that was when his sister was born. And I know that's not for everybody, but that was one of the reasons I started the business so that I could be flexible and be there for my children. Yeah, and, and I think we all do what we need to do to to navigate whatever we're going through. And and maybe you didn't want to have any days there, but you just have to do what you got to do, right? Um, so actually that environment there, you're actually creating a community with some other mums to, to help move through whatever you're all going through and, and share those duties that's really powerful yeah it was and because they were all in different sort of industries as well so it was a really good connection and in fact I actually felt a little bit lost when I first moved back to Western Australia because I lost that connection I didn't have that mutual um, benefit of, of those girls around me and, um, yeah, for the first probably 12 months when I moved back to WA, my business actually went backwards for a little bit. Um, and I really couldn't put a finger on it for a lot of years. And then when I looked back and really dug deep and thought, yeah, it was that I had lost my support network. I now had my family, which was fabulous, and that was great for looking after the children but it wasn't the support I needed for my business. So then once I realised that, then I went out and um, did get that support as well. And then, of course, my business took off again. Oh, yeah, I can totally relate to that. Like like I think about my corporate days and, and the part that I miss most was the the laughter and the, and the camaraderie and everyone getting along and having a, a great time and then coming and working on your own and having like the complete opposite. Uh, yeah, that was definitely a challenge, but it is. It's more the more of that support network you find within your business, the, the more things unfold. I find that really interesting actually that, and, and you might have a, an example of this with maybe clients you've helped. Often business owners look at all of their business processes and all the things that they need to work on when really if they focus more on the personal stuff, like having that community and support network, then the business seems to take care of itself. So I know predominantly you're helping people with with telling their story and getting their message out there, but does is there an element of helping them just navigate 
whatever they're going through in their business to help them do that? Yeah, there definitely is. And interestingly enough, um, just this week, I've actually started a coaching accreditation so that I'll be able to take that to the next level. Because what I'm finding is quite often I am actually doing mentoring or sometimes coaching. Um, so I'm actually going through a certification process at the moment to get a, a certified co coaching qualification. Because yeah, um, I've got a client in particular and we're looking at mindset about his um, money because he's really worried about invoicing people and should I be charging this or that? And, yeah, it quite often is mindset. And another example of that was when my daughter started school was I would have some days where I was actually working at home but I was working on client projects, that sort of thing. If I turned up to the school in my corporate uniform, my business uniform, my girlfriends all at the school would say, oh, I see you working today, um, we'll catch up next week or something. But if I turned up just in casual clothes because I was working at home and not seeing clients, that I'll go, oh, you've got time off today, can you come and have a coffee and catch up? And that was great. But it meant that I wasn't actually getting any work done. So what I found was I would actually put my uniform on, I would take my daughter to school, I would come home and get changed into my casual clothes so that I could be creative, and then in the afternoon it, it didn't matter. But, um, yeah, I found that if I wasn't wearing my uniform that um, my day got railroaded very quickly. Oh, that's cool. And actually, like, we talk a lot about masks and being able to show up authentically and all these sorts of things. But to me, I look at that as like a, it's a tool. It's a tool to get you mm. in the right mindset for this area and then a tool to get yourself back into that creative space. Uh, like I know for creative people, they like they work better if there's lots of colours and lots of sort of almost like mess, right, um, and then and then shifting your environment to suit whatever work you, you're doing. Is that sort of... When, when you go full creative, is that kind of the space you like, a bit more like sort of open and, and less less rules, more flexibility? Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I had morning tea before I started and it's actually You're right. in my throat. Take your time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, when I get creative, I like quiet. Um, which is different to a lot of people. And, yeah, I definitely um, like to get some things around and get rid of the mess. So, yeah, it can definitely be um, you've got to be in the space. Mm. So if I was in coaching mode, I'd be uh, I'd be saying the actual uh, <laughs> stuff going on your throat is a bit of clearing of uh, you finding your voice. So why, why is this creative space so important to you? in your business why, why is that something that actually is really important for you telling your story um it goes back to my grandfather so my grandfather was a sculptor yeah um raymond ewers he made his whole entire living out of making sculptures um he started as a war artist and then went through um until he was um unfortunately passed away in his 80s and he said he would never retire. And I spent a lot of time with him. And um, I wanted to be an artist. And he was a very pragmatic man. And he said, you're not going to do it, love. There's just no way. And at the time, I thought, why can't I? <laughs> and you've done it. So why can't I? And then, um, yeah, it wasn't an option to, to do that. And then when I got into graphics, I thought that I would um, be able to manipulate um, through that and it also turned out that that didn't um, work out quite the way I thought until later on when the internet came around and I was then able to spur that graphics on. Um, so I think in my, my head, in the background, I've always been a creative. If I haven't been doing some sort of art, I've been doing card making and that kind of thing. And then once I was able to build websites, of course, then that was just a, a dream come true. And even though I have team now, sometimes I still get in and, and puddle with the websites and sometimes they tell me to get out because, um, <laughs> yes, I'm trying to break things where I, I shouldn't ought to. So I guess it's always been that artistic um, sort of 
ancestry. Um, and interestingly enough, neither of my kids can do anything arty, but they're very musical, which is the generation previous to that. Mm. So, yeah, definitely creatives along the, the lineage. Yeah, well, I guess, not guess, music is art too, right? It's just a different form of art. Um, I'm going to come back to that art because there's, there's an angle there. But I, I'm curious this, what do, you, what do you miss most about your granddad? Time, spending time with him. He, he was an amazing storyteller. He always had stories. Um, he smoked for a lot of years and he drank a lot and he was just a, a real larrikin and he always could spin things into a, a positive um, aspect but he didn't suffer fools at all. He was a very impatient man. Um, it was his way or the highway. And, um, yeah, he didn't like abstract art or any of that kind of thing. So he was a very black and white man. But, yeah, yeah. time. Yeah, okay. Creative yet uh, very much this is how it's going to be. Whereas do you feel like you're more, your creativity is more open to be flexible? Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one of my creative outlets is actually making quilts and I do um, a lot of patchwork. And when I was learning to do it, um, my teacher at the time told me that your quilt needs to be an Amish quilt. So what they do is they always put a fault in it because the quilt can't be perfect because only God is perfect. And sometimes I think I take that Amish way too far and have way too many faults in it. Um, but that's okay. That's okay. I'm definitely not a perfectionist. <laughs> Was that the teacher's kind way of saying, you've got some faults here, but I'm going to allow that? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So what I love is that those things that you talked about with your granddad, the, the creative, the art, the storytelling, that's exactly what you're helping people do now, right? Yeah. Yeah. He would be so proud of where I've come. He really yeah. would. Because in the beginning, um, what I thought was going to be a graphic design um, apprenticeship turned into a lot more um, follow the, the rules, follow the boxes, and we didn't do a lot of creativeness um, working for a newspaper. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it really wasn't until probably 10, 15 years into my career that I got to come back to that creative um, spin. So, yeah. Brilliant. Okay. How, how open are you prepared to be? As a story Let, Let's go there. <laughs> <laughs> As a storyteller, what's uh, one of those stories that um, you tend to not tell in a public sphere that maybe uh, you're ready to, to share with the world now around your journey? Oh, yeah, where do you go with that one? Um, I once helped a gentleman um, publish a steroids book, where to get and how to buy steroids. <laughs> and we had to um, get the legal department involved and make sure that we couldn't be liable for it. Yeah. Um, and I spent nearly probably three or four months with this gentleman um, formatting this book and making sure that it conveyed the message that he wanted. Um, but, yeah, that was a massive eye-opener that people were actually looking to find out how to buy and use steroids. Mm. So, yeah. So when that, when that opportunity comes up, like what, what sort of thought process do you go through? Like you're a business owner, this is business, like, yeah, like talk me through that. So he was a really interesting gentleman. He was um, obviously a, a very buff gentleman and a, um, a, a gym person. And yeah. my first thought was, is it legal? Can I actually do that? Making sure that I wasn't um, going to incriminate myself or, or wreck my business career for the rest of my life. Yeah. And it was just finding out why he wanted to do it. And it was a case of he just wanted to help his tribe basically and it was um back in the 90s so it was when tribe wasn't a big thing but he was very passionate about his community and making sure that they had access to what they needed and 
in the safest possible way that he could provide. Mm, powerful. Was there anything through that process that you didn't feel comfortable with? What he was actually selling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And but his whole philosophy was very ethical. <clears throat> um, yeah, I think just what he was selling. Looking at that uh, that particular example, did it change how you then approach business given that sort of uh, doubt around how ethical that was? I have actually knocked back jobs because I didn't um, I didn't like the what they were selling or the ethics. I guess yep. the reason I did do that particular job was he was very passionate about looking after his community. And even though I didn't believe in steroids and what he was doing, he was very concerned about his community, making sure that they would get the right information. So by actually publishing that book, he was actually then protecting them. So I guess that was the thing. So, yeah, I've definitely said no to projects um, because I haven't aligned with my values. Hmm. I love that. Uh, really important in any business, but I think especially what you're doing in terms of helping people tell their story. And so look, even looking at his what he was doing, like he knew people were going to be doing it anyway. Well, let's make it make it as safe as possible, which, again, is important. So you asked a really important question then, like finding out why he was doing it. So why why do you do what you do, Cathy? Well, I guess the, the surface answer is to help people. Um, but when you actually dig far deeper into that, it it's to build community, to, to make sure that my clients are actually building a community and being able to get their message out to the correct people. I mean, there's a lot of people that do very similar things to like, for instance, the, the multi-level selling. Um, you've got people that are selling identical things but the ones that are successful are the ones that can build the community that are telling their stories and showing people why they're doing it. So yeah. you, you've got two products that are identical. You've got one person that's absolutely killing it and making huge amounts of money and you've got one person that's having to have a, a side gig and ask their husband before they can publish a website because they haven't got money in their business to do it. And it's just that sense of community, getting their story out, and making sure people are heard. Mm, powerful, right? Uh, so you're saying that actually one of the key differences in success is actually knowing your story and being able to tell it in a way that well, people will connect with. Yes. And one of the things I find the biggest problem with businesses is you ask them who they sell to and they say everybody. There's no way that you can connect with everybody. So if you think about Facebook, for instance, Facebook started in one university in America and then once they got that sorted, they went to a second university and then a third university and then they did world domination. They didn't start with world domination. But what we try to do as business owners is we try to talk to five or six or seven different people and we try to grab this and that and then we go, oh, well, this person wants to deal with me. I definitely need to grab them because basically I need the money and I've got to pay my invoices this week and all the subscriptions I've got and the shiny objects I've grabbed and all of that. Yeah. And we try to grab at every single piece of business. And what happens then is it just waters down our message. So you have these ads that you see and you're watching a little video that you shouldn't have been watching because you've gone down a rabbit hole and you've gone, they get me, they get me, they know what I'm talking about. Oh, my God, are they in my head? And yeah. it's because they're really focused on one type of customer and you're that one type of customer. And then you've got other videos or little ads you see and you go, oh, my God, there's just no way that I'd be buying that hair removal product because I don't even have hair or whatever it happens to be yeah. because yeah. you're not their customer. So making sure that you're actually speaking to your customer in their language, not necessarily your language, is really important. Yeah, and as you said, making it really clear the sort of people you don't help so that yes. people can just self-select and then that way you're actually you're doing most of the work there, right? Like people who are drawn to that will come in. Um, but even even uh, what you described there, people trying to help everyone, 
there's a common thread through all of those seven different types of people and it's talking to that part right that's that's the message we need to get to so so what's the common thread for you what what is it about you and and your business that is really the key part that that you want to shine a light on when you talk to people about catco i guess it's the fact that people are drawn to us because i'm a woman um and I don't mean that in a way that men can't do what I do, but quite often men don't have the time to sit and listen. They don't have the time to explain it in a language that um, everybody understands. And just as we're saying that I'm not for everybody and there is definitely um, a need for other styles, but what I find is people are drawn to me because I'll sit and take the time with them and then I'll explain what they need in language that they can understand. And sometimes I need to modify that language a little bit as well, because if you're talking to a plumber, that's going to be quite different to somebody selling lipsticks or somebody who's got a cafe. So being able to model their language a bit makes it attractive to them. Hmm. I, I would, from what I've learnt, rather than it being rather than being a female thing, it's it's the feminine energy. It's that slowing people down and, and giving them that space and, and using your natural creativity. Uh, I love that. So even though you're coming with more of that sort of energy, you're still able to help people like plumbers, for example. Do you, do you tend to attract a certain clientele over others or is it pretty broad? Um, we attract small to medium businesses and generally businesses that have a team. Um, so we attract a lot of business owners that have either had previous service providers or they've been doing it themselves and now they want to step out of that so that they know they need marketing, they know that their business is not going to grow and flourish without it and they know basically what needs to happen but they don't actually want to be the ones that are doing the do. Yeah, got it. So we talked before about art and and like music as art and everyone's got their own art. So when you think of that concept of art, what where's the art that you feel most at home? Is it the is it the quilting? Is it the storytelling? Is it the um the, the creative? What what is it that what's the part that just really lights you up? It's seeing the client's face when they've given you a story, they've had no idea on how to translate into digital and we show them a website or a branding package and they go, you got me. That's, nice. that's the best fit. Yeah, I love it. So this is interesting. So you talked about community and that and that sort of feel good. So, so most mostly people are tend to be more in that big picture creative place or more in that sensory community sort of driven space but you have this beautiful unique blend of both i imagine that what what's allows you to to connect at that level but also sell the vision yeah i guess so um a lot of people say what we do is quite different because having a trade background i have done a lot of the practical um but I also know the theory behind marketing as well. So being able to combine both of those and being able to go from the website and the digital section right through to your social media marketing and then even sometimes the print um, marketing can be quite different because people discount some of the older ways, particularly things like um, direct selling, direct mail, um, which we used to call snail mail. And Sometimes that is actually really more powerful because we don't get it anymore. Um, picking up the phone and calling somebody is very powerful because we don't get that either. So we can do a, quite a broad range of things. So, yeah, with our digital marketing, sometimes it's a little bit different to some of the newer companies. Love it. So community is a big part of your life. What's your earliest memory of community for you when you were a child? My grandparents looking after me. Oh, so cool. um, 
when I, I was born in Melbourne, so when I lived in Melbourne, my parents had an apple orchard and it was a fantastic little property, but it didn't make enough money to support the family. So both my parents had to work off the orchard as well as on it. And so we spent a lot of time with my grandparents and um, some of their their friends and extended family. So, yeah, that's my first um, memory community. Can you still eat apples now? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Sometimes people will get that sort of thing, like thrust <laughs> upon them, they're like, I can't do any more apples. So <laughs> so what was what was that community made up of? Like, so your grandparents, but who else was involved there when, when you were having that? It's like having your own little world, I guess. Yeah, it was. It was definitely, and especially for my grandmother because my grandmother was um, born in the, the years where once you got married you didn't work. Um, so she trained to be a nurse, but she never actually practiced practiced as a nurse. Yeah. Um, so her whole life was her family, um, and us, of course, being the extended family. So that consisted of my grandparents, so my grandmother and my grandfather, and quite often my grandmother's sister. Um, she was actually a practising nurse, so she would come in and um, have cups of coffee and chat and talk. And I guess that's where the storytelling comes in too because there was always yeah. people around telling stories. Yeah. So did you find at that young age you were getting an opportunity to tell stories too or it was more just listening? Oh, definitely listening. No, children were seen and not heard. Yes, you, you definitely didn't um, butt in unless it was a one-on-one -on -one situation and you were invited. We even had a, a little table away from the main table um, where we sat and ate. So, the kids' yes. table, yeah. Yes. It, was, it felt like so you yes. felt like such an outcast over there, particularly when you were getting older and you're like, hang on, when do I get to uh, upgrade to the, to the adult table? Yeah, well, by then we'd actually moved to Western Australia, so... Um, the, the, some of the rules got a bit blurred because they didn't see us as much. So we got involved, invited in a lot more. Do you remember sitting there like wanting to tell stories while you were forced to sit there quietly? No, not really. Um, I just wanted to to sort of suck in everything they were doing. It was just they were storytellers. They were exciting. Um, they were animated. Um, there was always lots of food, lots of drink, and, um, yeah, sometimes very animated. <laughs> Excellent. Is there, a, is there a story from that time that really stands out that still brings you much joy when you think about it? Oh, yeah, I don't know. I can think of a, a particular one. I can think of a, a particular uncle who was always, um, he always drank way too much and was very animated. Um yeah, I guess one of the stories, but it was much later, um, was when my brother, who's a couple of years younger than I am, um, well, I'd actually moved to Melbourne again at that stage to live and my brother had come over and my now husband, um, I think my father was there too, my grandfather and my brother were all on the deck. Um, my grandparents lived opposite the beach down in Frankston in Mornington Peninsula and nice. it overlooked the beach. There was a six-lane highway in between. Um, but they were all on the deck and they were fighting over the binoculars looking at the um, girls that were on the beach. And my grandmother said to me, she said, don't worry, love, as long as they, are, um, they can read the menu as long as they eat at home. And I can really remember that. And what she was basically saying is don't try to stop them looking, but just make sure that that um, they're faithful to you. And, yes, I've been married for 25 years, so obviously my husband. Something's um, working. Yeah, yeah, took note of that. But, yeah, she was always very much about, yeah, you're not going to be able to stop them, so just make sure that they're, they're good guys. Hmm, that's cool. Um, that old school wisdom uh, often stands the test of time, yeah? It does indeed. Mm. You mentioned there before about uh, your granddad and uh, he could be impatient and and I think that that can be very much the case for those visual thinkers because 
uh, sorry, not patient, impatient, because they've kind of seen the concept. And if he was a sculptor, he must have he must have had so many ideas and concepts in his mind that he just wanted to race towards. Do you think? Oh, actually, thinking about it now, is that a lot where think where that a lot of that fast pace comes from? Was that like he must have been a fast paced man too? Was he? Yeah, he was. He did a lot of drawings. Um, so. He had a studio downstairs. They had a two-story house. He had a studio downstairs and then he also had a, a room that he did smaller stuff in that was upstairs. Um, he didn't watch a lot of TV or anything, so after dinner he would quite often go into his his upstairs room and there was always half-done drawings and ideas jotted down and, and that sort of thing. And I think that was the way he coped with his mind racing and making sure that he didn't lose some of those ideas. So, yeah, he was definitely fast-paced. Yeah, cool. Um, that studio sounds amazing. Did, were you allowed to spend much time in there? Oh, yes. Yes, I yeah. spent a lot of time in there. Um, I'm a middle child, so when we moved to WA, um, my grandparents would fly two of the children back to Victoria at least um, once a year for um, school holidays. And um, my sister got older and then went off to uni. So I got the, the lion's share of it. So I spent a lot of holidays in that studio playing and learning. And, yeah, I guess that's why I, I wanted to be an artist. Um, but, yeah, he identified quickly that wasn't where it was going to go for me. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? We get told these different messages from important people in our life and yet there was something about you that knew that you were going to get out of that path anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> I didn't know there was going to be digital. I didn't know there was going to be websites and social media, but obviously the universe did and it brought me back. Yeah, very cool. So if you look at that um, that journey and, and particularly your, your granddad being so influential in that, um, is there is there something you've learned through that process and having that like he's almost like a, a mentor from a young age? Is there something you've learned about that when then you help other businesses? Like you mentioned you're becoming a coach. Do you think that's uh, having that element as part of what you do, no matter what you're doing, uh, is so important? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think for business owners, it is about having mentors. It is about having that support. And realising that they change. Um, so as my granddad got older, his views on life changed slightly. So if he was around today, he would probably still be a huge part of my life, but he wouldn't have been my only mentor um, because I would have grown into other areas of business and that sort of thing. And I think that's sometimes where business people get a bit stuck. They either get a mentor or a networking group or something like that and they stay with them far too long. And it's not that the mentor or the networking group is no longer any good. It's just that they've progressed. So yeah. then they need to also look for the, not the next shiny object, but somebody who can then help them along as well. And I think that's sometimes where we get stuck too. We think, oh, well, we need an accountant, we need a lawyer, we need these sort of people. But we forget that sometimes we need some support for us as the business owner. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, not necessarily um, there's anything wrong with them, but it's like that alignment piece that you talked about really early on. It's fine finding whatever's in alignment, which when, when I look at your business now, how you're evolving it and bringing coaching in, that allows you to then take those business owners on a journey where maybe it Maybe if they were looking to grow more, they would need to go elsewhere, but now, now they will be able to stay because you're evolving and, and they get to evolve with you. Yeah. It's interesting when I look at my very first business card that I ever made for myself, I thought it was just absolutely incredible. But now 20 years on, you look back at that and you go, how could I have ever thought that was amazing? <laughs> and then if you don't evolve and if you don't change, well, Sometimes that's not necessarily a bad thing depending on what you're doing, but for a lot of people that's going to stagnate them and that's when they get bored and that's when they go, oh, I've got to go and find something else to do because this is not sustaining me. Whereas if you are evolving and changing what you're doing, you may not necessarily have to change your business. You just need to change your path slightly. Yeah, I think so. I think it's um, we we 
evolve the things we need to evolve and and don't the things we don't need because there's a certain part of us that will always be gifted in a certain area where we can continue to to bring that other parts of us we can go okay well we can get better in that area and that yeah like that's brings us back to what we talked about at the start right when we do the work on us and we and we go through that growth then personally then the, the business side of things just tends to take care of itself it does and sometimes people don't realize what they need to let go of and that can be a huge thing as well is they they've had childhood friends that have maybe started in the business with them or they've picked up somebody along the way quite early on and now they're really scared because that person has either grown and no longer wants to be with them or vice versa people grow at different times so sometimes we just have to let things go as we go along and be okay with that yeah absolutely and learn the skills to be able to do that in a way that, that everyone wins rather than it being as a, as a negative and we all end up friends at the end and yeah it's not well she stole my business or he did this or that yeah. sort of thing so yeah doing it gracefully and respectfully yeah absolutely uh and with compassion so Talk to me about that title there, the uh, attraction maven. Explain <laughs> explain that what it means to you, and then what that what that would how people who are listening would then understand that. Yeah, so it came about a, a few years ago, and um, when it was first suggested um, through a coach, I went, "Oh no, that sounds a bit awful." Um, but basically, what we worked on was, "What do I do?" And at that stage, I hadn't sort of done a lot of reflection work. I hadn't gone back to work out what my actual why was. And then when I sort of started really digging deep, it was I attract things. I either attract clients for your business, attract new leads so that you can grow your business, I attract community. So everything came around that attraction. And then it was a case of, well, you just can't call yourself the attraction. So then what do you put to that? And Maven is actually Scottish for expert. And as mm. I've been in the business for 20 years, um, where, whether I like it or not, I'm definitely an expert in a lot of fields. So the attraction Maven is attracting the expert. So whether it's me attracting the expert for your business or whether it's the extension of that expert, you being the expert and then attracting the right kind of um, customers and clients for your business as well. I love that. So intertwined in that is that essence of community. Absolutely. So you're tapping into your community, the other people you have within your network to bring them in to give whatever that client needs, if it's coming from you or from someone from that community. That's really powerful. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, Scottish. So that's that's your family heritage? It is actually. Um, it wasn't necessarily what I was thinking of when I came up with Maven, um, yeah. but but yeah, we're English and Scottish um, heritage, and um, yeah, my daughter is um, Tara, which is actually also a Scottish name. Um, Interesting. So, yeah, I go. find that fascinating that that those things which we weren't necessarily conscious of, but then suddenly just come in and form part of what we're doing. Like, oh, that is a nice little synergy. Yeah. Uh, what what other parts of your life do you think have happened like that where it's just it's naturally fallen into either that English or Scottish heritage? Um, you know, get around in the court and play bagpipes or anything like that? Sorry, that's no. very, very atypical. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't do any music at all. Um, yes, and that was a, another very influential thing when I was in um, grade three, I think. We got a choice of French or music and um, I turned up at music and they said, you will be doing French. And I went, oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, but as I mentioned before, that has skipped a generation and my children are very musical and, um, yeah, they do a lot of jazz and that's um, lovely to listen to. Um, but, no, I don't wish to. Um, but back to your question, I don't know necessarily about English or Scottish, but one thing that I've um, picked up on recently is that we're water people. Um, as I mentioned before, my grandparents lived across the road from the beach. Um, both my parents live one street back from the beach. And um, 
my children are, are now adults and I only have one left at home and she will um, move next year heading for university. So we're actually thinking of um, downsizing and moving to the beach. So, yeah, definitely beach and water is a, a big part of our lives. Mm, mine too. We're thinking the same thing. Uh, maybe your ancestors lived on a lock or something. No, I'm, I'm stretching. Quite, quite possibly. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's something I need to investigate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very cool. So when could you share a, uh, a story from a, a client that really sticks out where helping them to tell their story, maybe they didn't think that they could and you helped them to tell their story and the impact that that had, not just for their business, but for really helping them personally just feel so amazing with what you were able to create for them? So um, it would be a cafe owner. Um, she's an incredible lady. Um, she calls herself a, a hippie, um, which she was back in the the 80s she actually went to India and then went to learn um, to do yoga and that sort of thing so she started a vegetarian restaurant um, she does have some meat in it these days um, but it's all ethically um, produced and um, making sure that it's got the, the least amount of um, preservatives and that sort of thing. And what we did with her was we started with the social media and then went into her website as well. And we've really shown that um, sustainability side of the business and that's really been a, a major impact. And getting her to be a bit more in front of the business as well. Um, she spends a lot of time in the, the kitchen cooking um, but getting her out, doing a bit of the serving and talking to the customers and talking online as well has really made her business boom because she is quite different and, like, it's totally sustainable and she has zero waste, so nothing comes off that um, property. She has wow. a, a thing called the Greta machine and it um, is basically a, a big composting-style machine and what happens there is she ends up with this Greta soil and um, she sells it back to the customers and the money from that goes to the Royal Flying Doctors as a donation. So she's just this yeah. absolutely fabulous cook. She's an incredible lady and she's got a, a passion for everything sustainable. So we've been able to um, really showcase that and it's made quite a difference to her business. Brilliant. And like you said very early on, you're giving an opportunity for people to be heard and whether you're a business owner or no matter what you do in your life, that place of being heard is just so important. Most of us screw up with what you described where we sit there and we had to listen and we, we weren't to, to speak and, and now as adults to be able to tell our story is just so powerful and so healing, right? Yeah, and I guess a lot of the people we actually attract are those sort of um Maybe not necessarily introvert, but certainly a private person, a person that doesn't really want to be out in front of the camera. They don't want to be telling their story as much because they don't think their story is really important. They don't think their story will attract people. And you hear these amazing stories and you think, how could you not think that was incredible? How could you not think that would attract people? But they're just humble. It's just what we do every day. So why would everybody else want to know? And that can really propel their businesses. Yeah, I love that. And I think propel life, like being able to tell that story and, and realise that their story does have value, Um I'm, I'm really excited to hear what unfolds for you with the, the coaching side of your business, given then you'll be able to help other people unlock, not just for their business, but just for their own growth and own peace to be able to talk about some of those things that perhaps that they never really thought was that important or valuable. Yes. Yes. I'm really excited to where it's going to go as well. Mm, awesome. So if you look to the future for Catco and for and for you personally, what excites you most about what's possible as you look into that crystal ball? 
So I've done quite a bit of visualisation and, and one thing I did was a thing called the perfect day and it was you projected yourself three or five years into the future and it was a case of how did you see yourself and every time I've done it a couple of times and every time I've done it I've seen myself in Italy and I'm in white linen, never wear white and I definitely wouldn't wear linen, um, but I'm waiting for my adult children to arrive, the driver's gone to pick them up from the airport and they're coming across from Australia to, to spend the university holidays there. So it's July and I'm waiting for them. So my my perfect day is being able to work autonomously to CatCo and having CatCo run by my fantastic team and then being able to do projects that really excite me and light me up. Oh, I love that. That's uh that's my goal too, and it's and it's like you still want to be doing what you're doing because, like your your granddad described, I'm not going to retire. That's how I feel as well. It just means there's more flexibility with the uh, ladies in business. So I love that. That's really cool. And um, interestingly, for you, family and community aspect of that, no surprise. <laughs> you mentioned for that cafe owner that it was important for them to to give back and have that community involvement. I know this is something that you're passionate about in your business too and you're connected with, uh, it's Paul Dunn, isn't it, the, the um, buy one, give one? Um, yes. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that, because uh, I think some business business owners might not be aware of that idea and then, and then the uh, charity that you've chosen and, and how that ties in with your business. Yep. So um, B1G1 is the... Um, I guess you'd call it the organisation. Um, so what it does is you actually pay an administration fee um, per month. So then everything you give as a your charity donation goes 100% to that charity. So you pay administration fee and then you work out how much money you're going to do as your charitable thing. So what I liked about that was we can pick our charities. So they have I don't know how many thousands of charities. Um, and what I've always disliked about charity things is that you, when I lived in Melbourne, you would drive down um, in the eastern suburbs and you would see these huge, big, massive buildings um, for these charity people. So you always wonder how much of that money is actually going to that charity. Yeah. Um, so with the B1G1, it's very clear what you pay for administration and then what you pay, 100% um, of that goes to the charity. So you can pick and choose. So we have 12 different charities that we have chosen to do and what we chose as a team is that we donate 1% of our revenue um, to B1G1 charities um, every month. So at the end of the month, we go through and I've just got a, a calculation that works that out and then I spread it between the, the 12 charities. So we have um, digital um, literacy, of course, um, and we have that both here in Australia and um, in the Philippines and that the one in the Philippines is for um, entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs, um, their digital literacy. The one in Australia is for Aboriginal communities. Then we have um, a few others, one of them being Rainforest. Um, I spent quite a lot of years in North Queensland, so we um, pay for metres of rainforest to be replanted. And then we have some for sick children and hospitalised children as well. Mm, and, I, and unsurprisingly, all of those sound very much in alignment with not only your business but also you lovely yeah and our team picked those so I gave them a, a list of a whole stack and then we narrowed it down into um the, the ones that we chose and that was throughout the whole team nice community involvement all the way through beautiful yeah. uh Kathy, is there any other story or message that you'd love to share with the audience before we wrap it up I guess just for business owners to, to go easy on themselves because we spend a lot of time in our businesses, working on our business, thinking about our businesses, and sometimes we look at somebody else's Chapter 20 and we go, we're not there, we'll never be there, why aren't we there? 
But you don't know what's behind that and how many other things they've had to do to get there. So be happy with where you are. Obviously, strive and push yourself. But just remember to be kind to yourself. Well said. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's a really powerful way for us to finish. Kathy, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I appreciate you having this chat with me. And, uh, yeah, thanks for being here. You are very welcome, Ian. Don't forget to subscribe to Small Business Talk podcast and head on over to smallbusinesstalk.com.au forward slash downloads for all the show notes and links to this episode. Remember, to be great, you must start. Pick one tip from today's episode, take action and implement it. Let's meet again next week at the same time and place. Until then, take action. And SBT community, enjoy your journey.